Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times, and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Jonathan Northcroft. Jonathan, good afternoon. How are you? Tell us, you've been in Lisbon. Uh, you've been experiencing the different Champions League, shall we say. <laughs> uh, and now you're back, so you're obviously having to quarantine for two weeks. But tell us about your experience in Portugal first. I am, yeah. It's all, it's all a bit surreal, actually. Everything was surreal, very much including the game, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, well, to start to start with sort of what I'm doing now, I got back yesterday, which means I've got to do two weeks in in my house uh, in Leicester again. So being from Leicester, this has just been like an endless year of restrictions and stuff like that. So I've got to two, do two weeks here because there's no air bridge between Portugal and England. Um, and then the trip itself was, I, I, it was a strange trip in, in so many ways. I mean, just the experience of flying and, and being in airports and hotels again is is weird. And then you had a, a Champions League um, with all the, the sort of COVID restrictions in the stadium um, and really limited numbers. I mean, more limited numbers in, in many ways than in Premier League games. So each club only had, I think, 12 passes for journalists. Some newspapers didn't actually get in. Um, and you couldn't cover any of the rest of the tournament. You could only cover the club you're attached to. So uh, oh. I spent a couple of days watching the other um, quarterfinals on, on TV in Lisbon, and then um, and then going going to the game. Uh, and around that, you couldn't do anything. I mean, usually on a trip like this, you'd try and meet a few contacts. You'd maybe try and um, you know, if you could, go to the the team hotel where the you know the team you're covering staying, see some a few of their staff or whatever. Nothing like that. Press conference via Zoom, which was a, a bit of a farce because Pep Guardiola ended up being the translator as well as the, the oh. subject of it. <laughs> and then, um, and then, um, and then the match, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, but goodness me, that was uh, that was surreal as well. It certainly was, and we will get into all of that in just a moment. But um, Gregor, while Jonathan has been in Lisbon and now is having to. Uh, lockdown and quarantine i'm actually here in ireland i've not even stated that have i um you're at home aren't you gregor yet <laughs> yeah to, yet to go battering outside oh. <laughs> yeah i'm um here i've got up to the the highlands of scotland next week so um i'm avoiding all that oh well, that's the plan anyway although you never know scotland's had, had its own little <laughs> issues as well so oh. fingers crossed i have a smooth journey in the car up to scotland next week you may still get a battering though up there i suppose with the weather Indeed, yes. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I'm used to Indeed, indeed. Well, do you know what? We've got loads to get through on what was a blockbuster weekend of European action. And we're going to start in Cologne. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Manchester United were beaten 2-1 by Sevilla in the semi-finals of the Europa League on a wasteful night in Cologne. Having taken an early lead when Marcus Rashford was fouled in the box and Bruno Fernandes slotted home the resulting penalty, Sevilla responded well and equalised after a neat move down the left finished off by Suso. United dominated much of the second half and had had 20 shots to nine from Sevilla. But with 12 minutes left, Jesus Navas crossed and the Dutch striker Luke de Jong was able to slot home the winner from close range. Gregor, what what did you make of Manchester United? Were they unlucky or did they simply just lose the finishing touch when it mattered on the European stage? I think it's a bit of both. I think there's no doubt, as you said, they had so many efforts on, on goal. Martial had had a few really, really good chances. The one that was played across the edge of the box for him. Um, one where he robbed the, the the Sevilla midfielder and played a 1-2 with Pogba. And, he, and you know, the goalkeeper had, had, a, had a brilliant game. So there's no doubt they were unlucky in, in one regard. But at the same time, I mean, the last couple of games they've, had, they've created lots of chances but not scored enough goals, you know, apart from, from the penalty spot. So... Mm. Um, there's no doubt that, that that that's a question mark. And when you add in the fact that it's the third semi-final um, that they've come up short, and you just kind of wonder, you still think. We remember we had a discussion with Johnny not so long ago about whether Martial is going to be able to step up to be the the number nine that Manchester United need. And you know these are the kind of games and the moments that make you make you have those questions again. I think. They certainly do, and uh, I'm sure Tom Clark will be relishing the fact that we're talking about <laughs> Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, things not quite working out for him uh, at the moment. What did you make of United's performance, Jonathan? Well, I mean, I think they were tired. I think that was the, the, the biggest thing I noticed from the, the whole match was just that sort of that lack of speed in their decision-making. Um, every Everything seemed to be just half a second slower than it should have been. You know, they were holding on to the ball, that extra touch. They were shooting that extra half second later. The, you know, there were some quite sort of poor tackles, actually. It, they were just like a team that was, you know, either a team that you'd see in pre-season when they're rusty or a team at the end of a season, which is what they are, 60-odd games or whatever. I thought that was the, I thought that was the biggest issue for them, to be honest. They, they, they had a... A real good go at winning the game in that in that ten minute period after half time. It was like they had enough energy for one last effort, and they couldn't they couldn't finish it. But the, the finishing, as I say, was I think because of tiredness and um, you know Bruno Fernandez, the key player, just lacked that that normal um, sort of snap in his in his passing. He was, everything was a bit too late with him, um, but it did expose why United are. You know, why talk of them challenging for the title next year is a bit premature and why they're still a little bit away and why they have lost those three semi-finals because there's a few players that probably aren't quite good enough and there's a few players that need to develop a bit further um, before they get that consistency. And then, as, as Gregor kind of alluded to, you've got key players who are still inconsistent and I'd include Rashford in that, I'd include Martial in that. Um, uh, you, you know, these, these are top players, but they're still on the learning curve and they're not quite as reliable um, as your your top, top players. So plenty to do for United. And uh, I suppose if there's a positive for them, it might be that, that this Europa League hasn't papered over any cracks that Solskjaer can go to Ed Woodward and the Glazers and say, look, you know, this, this is what I've been talking about. We're not quite there yet and we need more. 
Jonathan, you mentioned there the inconsistency of some of the players, mm. but you also said there are some that aren't quite good enough. Who, who are those players that you're referring to? Well, I mean, I, look, I, I think Victor Lindelof is uh-huh. a decent centre-half, a fine centre-half, but has never quite been that top centre-half. Now, I'm tr- when, I, when I say not quite good enough, I'm trying to compare... Um, these players to the standard that you really require to be either a Premier League champion or, you know, European champion. So, you know, for example, you know, I'm picking on Lindelof, um, but you know, I could, I guess, I could mention Brandon Williams, who's young and he might develop, but I thought he was not there, not there last night. Um, Wambasaka is developing, but I, I, you know, I, I'm not again, not, not an elite fullback yet. Um, and then in you know midfield, Fred. I thought I had a pretty ordinary game as as Fred almost invariably does. Um, there's players that you're, you're very confident will be good enough, like Greenwood, like like Rashford, and probably like Martial. But um, yeah, there's, they're a way off. If you just if you just, all you need to do is look at the Liverpool team, look at the, the the consistency of performance that that those players have churned out for two, three years now and, and look at the, the, the ups and downs and the levels of some of those United players. I'm not saying they're bad players, but the next step's getting to that elite level and some of them need to either be changed or to, to, to develop further. Gregor, the defence for Manchester United has been called into question quite a lot recently. Um, who was at fault for Luke de Jong's winner? I, said, I, think, I think both goals actually were sort of similar in their build-up mm-hmm. in that there was a switch of play uh, a bit of an overload on the wing and the first goal Wan-Bissaka it was kind of uncharacteristic he 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 failed to track the runner after closing down uh, the player out wide and he failed to stop the cross and then uh, Brandon Williams was kind of drawn in towards the striker and the, uh, it was finished at the back post the second goal it kind of rules were reversed Williams didn't manage to block the cross. He was unfortunate; it was deflected, and the cross was kind of pinpoint. It looped over Harry Maguire into that kind of channel that um, Lindelof couldn't really throw anything at it, and De Gea couldn't come. And the, so the biggest, the biggest fault, I think, really, Wambasaka and Lindelof. Wambasaka's either got to say to Lindelof, "This is your man," because there's only one man in the box. Um, and it didn't look like he, there was any communication there, or he's got to stay with him because, as I said, there was no other player, no other danger in the box, and he did neither. So, I, Lindelof could have been more, you know, better aware of what was around him, but I think Wambasaka could have taken control of that situation, and he didn't. Mm. Following De Jong's goal, Manchester United teammates Lindelof and Bruno Fernandes were involved in a fire exchange on the pitch. Is that something you don't mind seeing on the pitch, Jonathan? Or is it actually a sign of an unhappy camp? No, I thought it was a great sign, actually. Um, It's it's because of Bruno as well. I mean, I did a background piece on him recently and spoke to people in his development. And um, he's always had this edge to him. He's, he's, He's got such a kind of winning mentality um, that he, he's, no, he, he's never been afraid to call out teammates. There was an instant at Sporting when um, he told them all what he thought. You know they weren't playing well enough, and 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 he was quite happy to, you know, take the flack and stand by his words and, and and say them publicly in 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 the press. And I I think he's driven United standards up without a doubt. Uh, and it's not just been because of what he's done on the pitch. It's because he's arrived with this mentality um, that, that that I guess someone like Roy Keane had. You don't associate with it with a creative player. You associate it with the kind of battling, 
keen style player, but 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 he's got it. You know that that's one of the things that makes Fernandez a bit special. He's got that edge to him, and I thought it was a it was a good sign. And 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 I thought he was right. I thought he was right to call out Lindelof. You know, and um, yeah, I, 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 nothing wrong with that at all. Gregor, what about you? Have you been involved with a bust up on the pitch? And how quickly do you kind of move on from those kind of incidents? Almost immediately. It's very rare that that kind of lingers. Um, mm. Yeah, I've had plenty of shouting matches on the pitch and usually they're even more kind of heated in the changing room. But I don't, I, personally, I don't I don't think it means that great, a great deal. I think, you know, it shows that they, they both care and it shows, as, as Johnny says, that uh, Fernandez has got a bit of an edge, but I don't think you have to fall out kind of publicly to prove that you care, or, or you know, these these conversations happen behind closed doors more often than not. So, I don't, you know, I don't think you, it means much actually. And as I say, within within minutes, uh, it's all, all's forgotten and they move on. I mean, it's the kind of thing coaches actually like. If you remember, Mourinho actually called almost called for it to happen among the Spurs players, and sure yeah. enough, um, Loris and, and Son ended up having a. I go at each other. I think coaches like to see Gregor will know better, of course, but I think coaches quite like to see players almost doing their job for them by calling, you know, calling out someone else who's not who's not done theirs. Well, I'm sure they will have got over it pretty quick. They won't have been happy with the result. And United had 20 shots against Sevilla and a grand total of 46 efforts at goal across this game, as well as the previous round, which was against FC Copenhagen. Yet, as Gregor mentioned, only managed two goals, which were both from the penalty spot. So what has happened to United's finishing? I know, Jonathan, you mentioned there about the inconsistency of Martial. Do they need a new number nine, an out-and-out number nine? I'm kind of. This is Marshall's kind of posed these questions for five years now because he's such a talented footballer. But is he a number nine or is he a mm. kind of? And he's certainly not a winger, so is he, he's he's a kind of somewhere in between a nine and three quarters or something like that, or eight and three quarters. It's it's really, it's really difficult. I think what it does. I'm not I'm not sure they necessarily need a new striker because Mason Greenwood is, I think, the answer to. To anyone's striking problems, give him a couple of years, and, and he probably will be the number nine himself. And maybe Martial can, um, you know, play a slightly different role. But um, I think they do need something else. And I think it's the the reason that that they are interested in Jaden Sancho is exactly that. And that, that, I'm kind of going against Graham Souness and 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 what he wrote in in our paper uh, on Sunday. Uh, when he sort of suggested, look, that front three is great and, and, and the, the recruitment should happen elsewhere. I think it just showed why that little extra something is, is, is needed by United. The, the stats that you mentioned that across both games tell a real story. And, and good as they've been since lockdown, it has been very much Bruno Fernandes inspired. Um, and the, the front three have dipped in and out of their contributions. As I said, I'd excuse Greenwood because I think he's amazing and, and, and he's just young and he, he'll become more and more consistent. But the other two are not um, you know, totally consistent yet. And, and, and something like Sancho with his goals record, his record of assists would just be that extra element they need. What do you think, Gregor? Is Jaden Sancho the answer or do they need to look to improve the squad elsewhere? What do you think? Yeah, I think they have kind of more pressing uh, issues in the areas of the pitch they need to strengthen. Um, I, I think you know if if uh, a number nine, I think eventually they will need to sign a, a number nine. But I think it's something that you know in the next twelve months they could be looking to do. And Sancho would just kind of 
raise the bar f- for all of those players because mm. Greenwood, could, as Johnny saying, Greenwood could play through the middle. Martial can play through the middle. Rashford can too, even though he, he's kind of saying he wants to play wide now. Um, so you know, having those four players to choose with, choose from, you know, Dan James is another a fifth. That's a kind of pretty frightening uh, stable of of uh, talent to choose from for your front three. And I know none of them are really an out and out number nine, but I think there would be plenty of goals there. So I, I don't think that's the most pressing area for United. I think United need uh, a centre centre half. And I think I said this before. Someone who's, mm. a, you know, a, a defender of real stature, because I think that would bring out the best in Maguire too. I don't think he is the the pillar alongside, mm. you know, alongside whom everyone else kind of raises their standards. He's not. I know he's the captain now, but he, he's not in that kind of same league as a, I don't know, a Van Dijk or a John Terry or a Rio Ferdinand. Someone. He's not. I don't think he is that. I think he mm. would benefit from having someone experience alongside him so that's the most mm. pressing area for Man United and probably a left back because mm. uh, I, I'm not even sure Luke Shaw is, is really good enough and, and consistent enough to be in a, a team that's going to try and that wants to win the title mm. Does that all make sense to you Jonathan? Very much so yeah I mean centre-back's fascinating because I think everyone needs one except yeah. Liverpool it's such a difficult position to sign at the moment but without a doubt and um Maybe um, certainly a left back. I agree with Gregor about about Shaw, and, and I think Williams needs time. Um, probably need to sort their goalkeeping situation out. Um, I'm afraid. Probably. I mean, the guy's done so much over the years that perhaps he, he, he's earned another few months. But but he, he can't have another season like he had. I don't think. Um, and you go. You kind of go back to. The midfield again as well, and wonder if there's another ingredient. They're, they're, they're getting closer, you know. They're getting closer. It took Liverpool what, two, three seasons to to get there. Um, so I think they've 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 gone as far last season or 2019-20 as you'd have you'd have expected. But to progress, yeah, they need to keep adding, and and they just need to make sure that those are the the right signings that that, that fit everything, and not the kind of signings they've had in the past. And and the, the bigger there's also a question of who they let go as well, of course, because there's people like Rocco and still in the books, Jones still on the books, who who, who Solskjaer doesn't really fancy, and then Smalling, who he talked to, you know, I did a sort of Sunday's press conference with them on on the Friday, and he was not very enthusiastic about the return of Smalling, which, given how well Smalling did at Roma, was was perhaps a surprise, but it didn't didn't sound like Smalling was about to walk back into his plans, put it that way. So mm. there's a few there's a few kind of departures that need to be sorted out as well, I think. Uh, after last week, Gregor, we were all, I think we were both a little surprised by Tom Clark's stance on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He was adamant, Jonathan, that it, his time was up. He'd taken Manchester United ah. uh, to as far as he to as far as he could. But has anything changed for you, Gregor, from what you've seen over the weekend? No, I'm the same. I'm in the same kind of position. I think. Yeah, I suppose you were. I think, like, I could. I sort of half agreed with Tom, but at the same time, I disagreed with him because <laughs> I don't think. I don't. I've still put this way. I've, I've yet to see that Man United will win major mm. silverware with Solskjaer at the at the wheel, as I say. Um, you know, I even think. You could sign Van Dyke and Lewandowski up front, and there's still a question mark of whether they would be able to have, you know, Solskjaer would be able to have a team that 
that competes with Liverpool and Man City to win the Premier League. I've still, you know, the gap would be closed, but I still think those two guys, they are kind of the, the systems, the way they play. Uh, I've not, we've not seen that really from Man United. We're still not entirely sure what what they're going to be. Um, so the players, the, the, the players at his disposal are improving, um, and most importantly, as I said on Thursday, I think he's done enough to be to be given the chance to prove doubters like me wrong. So he should. He's got. You know. He's definitely got to. And he will be. As, as I said, at some point, he's going to be there. <laughs> I know. That's how. You, that's how you just kept shutting it down. He's going to be there because there's no point talking uh, about it. But what? Oh, Jonathan, uh, are you not so sure? No. Goodness me. Solskjaer's finished ahead of Lampard, Arteta, Brendan Rodgers, Mourinho, and yeah. everyone seems to think they're doing quite a good job. You know, he inherited a mess. Um, he's he's clearly put the identity and the culture back into United. He's developed young players. Mason Greenwood under Mourinho would be still would still be playing in the under twenty threes. You know, he's 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 got a he's got a blueprint for for I think the way he wants United to play. It's, maybe it's not uber sophisticated, but I think it's I think it's there. You know, it's fast counter attacking um, football. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and argue that he's got a football tactician's mind in in of the level of Klopp or Guardiola, who are who who really think about the incredible fine details of positioning and timing and pressing. I don't think he's that type of manager. Um, but I do think there's more to management than that. I think that's only one element of it. It's a very important element. Liverpool have a guy that can do all, do all of the elements. We've got questions about the City guy now. And I think Solskjaer can do some of the elements and um, some of the really important elements as well. Mo- you know, motivation, mentality, confidence, identity, culture. Um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I mean, what, they've lost what, two, three games in the last 25, 26. Uh, and, you know, a, a tired performance which really another day they might have won and, and we're asking questions about them again. It, it's the life of a Manchester United manager. No no club gets a harsher spotlight put on it. Um, but I, I, I just think there should be more faith in Ollie and um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll need to give Tom a ring and, and uh, <laughs> have, a, have a chat with him. So you, you do you think, though, that he can win major yeah. trophies? Yeah. yeah. I do. I, I, I do. I mean, he's, he's, yes, he's failed in three semi-finals. Um, I think, you know, Manchester City beat beat United in one of them. Would you expect them to beat City? Not really. Um, something at that point of the season. Sevilla are so good in this competition that they they beat everyone across the years. They beat Klopp's Liverpool a few years ago in in this competition. Um, the, the 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 sort of the, the black mark was the the Chelsea performance. I think he got it badly wrong that day. So I'm not arguing he's perfect, but I, I don't think he's that far away and, and one reason I do think he, he's capable of winning is because he really really wants to win something he's not one of those managers that's sitting there talking about progress and fourth place you know he's he's, he's got that old school determination to target and, and, and win trophies and I think he'll do it. I'm not sure he's going to win the Premier League but I do think he'll win a cup it was also a desperately disappointing weekend for the blue half of Manchester as two goals in the last 10 minutes saw Manchester City crash out of the Champions League quarterfinals once again after losing 3-1 to Lyon. In a thrilling and drama-filled conclusion, VAR allowed a Dembele breakaway goal to the stand despite an apparent foul in the build-up before Raheem Sterling missed an open goal moments before Dembele's tap-in from Edison's error confirmed City's shock exit. City 
then have once again failed to advance past the quarterfinal stage, being knocked out in the final eight in three successive seasons. So, Jonathan, we know you were there. You were in Lisbon for the game. Where did it all go wrong? Well, it, it, I think it went wrong in the in the team hotel the night before when mm. Pep um, came out with his master plan, um, or or, or, may, or or maybe it was maybe it's, I mean he said it was he'd worked on it for three days and maybe maybe he had, um, although in his press conference the day before it, he he sounded pretty relaxed and he sounded like he was gonna he talked about let's be ourselves and and that to me signaled that he was gonna do the normal Manchester City four three three play his best side all that kind of stuff. So I have I, I, I one day the story will come out of exactly how that he he dreamt up that plan and I do wonder if it was a bit last minute. But yeah that that was the that that, that was the biggest factor for me. Once you saw the team sheet there was there were doubts in everyone's minds and I'm sure there were doubts in in the City players' minds. Um, and I'm sure there was a, it was a boost to, to Lyon. And um, what he did by going 3-5-2 um, was, first of all, the, you know, the biggest thing he's done in his whole career has been dominate midfields, achieve numbers in midfield and, and, and get passing angles and stuff. 3-5-2 is notoriously difficult to, 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 to get that. You know, you, you end up getting outnumbered if, if the opposition um, have got a decent midfield three, which is what they did. Um, and then he, he he doubled down by by playing two defensive midfielders in front of his back three. You know, he effectively then got a block of five defensive players on the pitch. He, uh, a, a, a left, a right footer playing left wing back, so he can't really penetrate into the box. It there were so many cautious decisions that it just took City away from being City and compromised what they what they're actually good at. To emphasise what they're not very good at, which is defending. So I, I do think it was it was one of those where the, the 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 coach and the game plan was was the biggest single factor. And yes, a lot of things happened in the match, which which Guardiola couldn't be blamed for, um, and individuals could. But for me, the the moment it, it changed was or the, the the key moment was when he handed in that team sheet or came up with that mm. plan. What was the, the buzz like? I know you've already mentioned beforehand yeah. about the, the strange circumstances that this was all being played in, but was there a buzz? Was there massive optimism that Manchester City could, could do this? Yeah, there was. It was a, I mean, there was, a different, there was a different feeling about it. Before the, the ties in previous years, you could sense the anxiety. You know, that Liverpool was played in a kind of height of anxiety or, or, or sort of, you know, it, it was an emotive game because of the rivalry between the two clubs. There was a there was a sort of a bit of a nervousness around the, the, the Tottenham game. Um, the, the Monaco game was more a sort of case of, I think, underestimating the opposition. This one felt different. This felt like, you know, they'd beaten Real Madrid pretty calmly, um, pretty well. Um, they were very relaxed in Lisbon. Um, you know, Pep's press conference. Of, he, 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 you know, he, he seldom looks so relaxed, um, and talks about a great camp they had. So it was a shock when sitting in the press box, you got you, you, you got the email through from UEFA with the you clicked it open. It was a PDF with the teams, and you saw it, and you started sort of counting up the defensive midfielders in the team and the centre backs and. You know, and you that that was you know we were sort of puzzling over how on earth are they going to play? Surely they're not going to do three five two blah blah blah. And that 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 it was a it was a very very odd kind of moment when it all changed, as I say, when the when those those teams came out. I don't think there was much of a warning about it happening before. Mm. 
Gregor, were you just as shocked by the team news? And do you feel they sort of have blown their best ever chance of winning the Champions League? Yeah, it was it was a surprise, and it's kind of. I, I, I haven't said all that. I mean, we kind of have our glossing over it. I think the second goal was just was just really <laughs> bizarre. It was yeah. it was, you know, even if you take away whether he, whether Laporte was fouled or not. I, I, I've got. I'm maybe going to be biased here, putting my defenders hat on, but I can't see how Laporte is expected to compute all of those mm. different possibilities. Mm. As at that moment, he's, he's held his held his run to play a can be offside. He is offside, and mm. he's let the ball run through his legs, and a man's run off his back, his shoulder. So let's again taking out whether he's he's fouled him or not. Um, th- there's no way Laporte could, could kind of could do the make the first action. Which was which was a, val- a, a a good piece of defending, really, and then because he decides to let Acambi lets the ball run through his legs, he's kind of punished for that piece of good defending. I I, I think that's you know the offside law is as far as too complicated now. It's just uh, so I thought they were hugely unfortunate there, uh, and it was a foul. Well, got to say that mm. as well. So and City were in the ascendancy then. They weren't playing great, but they'd made the changes, and um, you know, and then even after that, Sterling missed a chance that we just can't possibly you can't mm. possibly get your head around so mm. yes it was you know Guardiola did complicate things and it's become a kind of a strange recurring theme and like almost I, I don't know it's, it's very hard to explain it's like City have this kind of inferiority complex in this competition mm. now it's like it's, the way Guardiola speaks about it even he talks mm. about the history of other clubs and you know City having a long long way to to having that kind of heritage in this competition, he talks about. He's even talked about their home crowd at the Etihad. He, you know, he mm. he talked about a lot of thi- a lot of things, and it's kind of all quite negative. And then he does something like this. He changes, he changes the way that City are renowned for playing, and that gives the other team the initiative, the impetus. So I you know I I, I don't know why that is. I, I think only Guardiola really knows why that is. But it's it was pretty clear that that hindered City. Uh, certainly for the first kind of hour of the game. And then, obviously, they were very unfortunate for that second goal. To change their formation, it's something that Pep Guardiola has done before, hasn't he? He's been accused mm. of overthinking his approach in matches gone by. With this back three system, Guardiola said it was to combat Leon's fast forwards mm. and to prevent his defenders being left in two-on-two situations, having seen them eliminate Juventus. Is it, Jonathan, is this a case of actually... Guardiola paying Leon just simply too much respect. Yeah, I mean, what, what I'm not saying is that he's he's, he's not a fool. You know, he I, I understand the logic in those changes. I understand what he was thinking about Leon's forward line, um, but it, it it is it is a question of you know any game you go into, um, you've got to balance your strengths against taking precautions against the weaknesses of the opposition. And I think when your strengths are so much greater than the opposition's, you, you you just go with you go with them. You prioritise them. Any team you play against has got different ways of hurting you. Um, you know, you play you, if you play against a League Two team, they're probably going to be good at set pieces and, and have a big centre forward. So you could argue that you change your system and you you, you play more big players. And you know what I mean? You, you can do it against any team, but if you're better than the opposition. I'd suggest you, you you just concentrate on causing them problems and let them worry about your strengths as much as um, you know take worrying about this. And, and I I just think he got himself spooked about Leon, um, who you know they're probably better than 
that seventh place finish in, in the French league suggests. There are probably reasons for that because they had a bad start of the season, changed managers, and, and Rudy Garcia's done a pretty good job, and they got a young team that's getting better and better, blah, blah, blah. So they probably are better than seventh in the French league, but they're not as good as Manchester City. And if Manchester City had at least one of the silvers and, and let's say, Mares and Foden on the pitch, we saw what Mares did when he came on. Leon would have... Leon with people like Jason Denaire at the back, they'd have, they'd have spent more time defending than being able to trouble City, and that that's just that's just why that's just why it was so odd. It was so odd that he got so worried about what the opposition could do, and and, and not uh, you know enough about what 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 he could do. Gregor, you sort of already mentioned the negativity that surrounds Manchester City when they talk about the Champions League. Do you also think maybe that the favourites tag doesn't sit well with them? Yeah, maybe. I mean, as I say, it's kind of, it's like a, an inferiority complex. And so it's all of the kind of narrative that Guardiola kind of has been speaking of throughout the competition, as always since he's been at the club, it's kind of, that's turned on its head a little bit. Um, I just think that, I think he was spooked, he, the, the changes, he, he, his defence, he's got huge issues in his defence and he knows that, but it kind of goes against everything that, that Guardiola is sort of believes in, and that you know, you kind of remember the the whole discussion when when he, he sort of he, he he kind of dispelled with uh, with Joe Hart, and you know, having a goalkeeper that was the, the sweeper keeper, and you know, all these different all the little kind of tactical innovations he makes. It's always it's always been about how City can dominate with the ball and attack, and you know, they'll outscore opponents, and so that's why it was so kind of jarring to see him make. Make changes that were overcomplicating things, but they were actually defensive rather than rather than offensive. It wasn't. It, that's what it's felt like anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was very very peculiar, and and I think um, I think the whole the whole kind of issue of them in the Champions League has been. It's not a competition they feel comfortable in. I don't think really, mm. and a part of that may be something to do with the, you know, the, they've not got a good relationship with. The UEFA either, so it's kind of the whole thing has just been ever since you know, like PSG as well. They've spent so much money, and this is the kind of this is the goal. This is the 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 one one major goal that's eluded them, and it's almost like the pressure of that uh, is becoming a bit too much for them. Well, Gregor, you mentioned the possibly huge turning point in the game, which came at two one when Jesus did well to dart down the left before scooping out a cross for. Raheem Sterling, who, um, well, was running in at the back post, but somehow City's top scorer missed with an open goal ahead of him and could only send the ball flying over in one of the misses of the season. In some ways, I don't want to dwell on that because you don't want to put all the blame on one player. Gregor, you've already sort of alluded to the fact that it was a big miss and how did he miss it, but is there any way, any understanding that you can take from it of how he has missed that? No. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing not. I'm not the guy to ask either. I mean, if, I, 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 I was very, it's very rare I was in a position like that. So, you know, I've heard strikers speaking about it in, over the last couple of days on the radio and stuff about he thought that, he thought it was in before he, before he took the, you know, actually mm. put the ball in. Uh, and you know, Sterling, it's always been the one. Despite all the the number of goals he scored, he scored more goals than he's than he ever has. Sterling, it's still always kind of the one, the one question mark against him. Sometimes he, you know, he still misses quite a few opportunities, and and that was just, you know, it was just from from swinging from that end of the pitch up to the other. It just felt like 
uh, it wasn't meant to be this year for City, basically. Hmm. Well, that's it, isn't it, Jonathan? Did, did that miss, and such a glaring miss, kind of prove that it, it wasn't to be for City? Yeah, I mean, odd things happen to them in this competition. There's no doubt about that. Weird things, and 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 the goal that Gregor described very well was, was one of them. The the the, the foul on the port, the offside, and Sterling's miss was another. He just that's not Pep Guardiola's fault. You can't you can't legislate for that. Um, but if weird things like that keep happening, if these mishaps keep happening, like you know, that really scruffy goal they allowed Lorente for example, in Spurs last year, is that's when you wonder if it's a psychological thing. If if all of that tension that they take into these games does get at them in key moments, because Raheem scored thirty-one goals this year, you know he's 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 uh, he's become a pretty reliable, productive player, and and it was an open goal. So you know, and he had a good game. He had a good game. So it, it, when so many odd things like that happen. Um, you know, maybe maybe luck does come into it, but maybe psychology does as well. Um, what, one thing that did fascinate me, and I, I, I'd, I'd love to find out more, is I, I have read that um, Guardiola likes his um, strikers or likes his forwards to strike the ball hard when they get chances and not sort of caress it in. So there might have been a technical re-issue there where, you know, I think Gary Lineker was saying that in that situation as a striker, you should really just focus on making a soft contact, even if mm. it's an untidy, off your shin, rolling, trickling over the line. Just take the heat off the ball and, and, and get it in. Whereas I have read that Guardiola, I don't know this, there's someone I read in one of the analytical pieces that, that, that he tells his players to you know, hit, it, hit it hard when you get a chance at goal, make sure you get it in. And I don't, if, if there's a technical reason it could have been that, but it's more likely to be a psychological one. Gregor, does that make any sense to you? That why why would Pep Guardiola suggest that to his players? Do you think? I've no idea. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd played for Pep Guardiola, but I haven't. I agree though. It's kind of if the ball comes across like that, you you could be kind of more cautious, almost stud it in. You know, mm. if you if you're making your sure that you're not hitting over the bar, that's the biggest danger there. You've got to kind mm. of get you know the very base of your foot um making contact with the ball so um yeah i don't know who knows but it was certainly a, a, one of those moments where you kind of i think i made this big yelp and like susie came running through and think what what what's wrong <laughs> yeah it was one of those moments you think oh my god and then they went up the pitch and scored and it, it did feel like that's what that's what i'm kind of that's what we're trying to get to it feels like this the city and the champions league it's an uneasy marriage at the moment, and I don't know mm. what they can do to change that, really. We've talked about the rebuild, possibly, at Manchester United, or uh, certainly the players that they should be looking to, or the areas they should be looking to improve on. What do we think about Manchester City, Jonathan? Do they need a rebuild as well? I think they do, actually. I mean, I wrote about this today. Um, this isn't just because of losing to, to Lyon in the Champions League. This is a campaign. They've lost 12 matches, 12 games. You know, a team like Man City across the season, way behind Liverpool in the league. I know the last couple of weeks helped them close the gap, but really that title was over by by December. Um, you know, the, the poor poor exit to Arsenal in the cup. So it's been it's been a season of real quick decline. Um, there were already pressing issues: David Silva going, Aguero hitting his, his sort of 32 now. 
Um, the fact that the, the, the defence, even a year ago, you could see this coming, needed sorting out with his loss of confidence in Stones and Otamendi never been good enough. The, the issues at left back that, that, that there's always, they've always been, that they never seem to solve. So you, there's a, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's, there's quite a few um, rebuilding issues to do. And one of the things that fascinates me is that um, Guardiola's only got a year left. So if you're looking at a new phase for the club, where you're trying to sign a batch of players for the next five years, and, and City are always pretty good at signing players around the age of 23, so they do think long term. So if they're trying to sign players for the next five years, but you've got a manager that's only going to be there for one, that gives you a real headache as well. So there's a lot of issues for City now to, to dwell on. A lot of issues. Where, where do you think the, the bigger problems lie for Man City, Gregor? Uh, I think I think the uh, they require a couple of real specialists. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rodri is 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 Fernandinho. And Fernandinho's no. thirty five and he's he's uh, you know he's not going to be around forever. And, and that, you know to compound matters, he's had to play in defence this season, so it's a huge hole for them. So they need someone in midfield because that's the way Guardiola plays. They're left so wide open. They need a, a centre midfielder who can break up play, and they need a defender who's good enough on the ball like Laporte and he can build attacks I think you know I, I wrote a piece earlier this season and I think it's not just the defending side of the game that Laporte improves he springs attacks he steps out of defence and they score more goals with him than the team that sounds weird with the centre halves in the team they score more goals so they need someone who is good enough on the ball but is also quick enough to play as the last man and any balls over the top he can sweep them up so they need two, those two specialists or you know they're not very easy to find. I don't think Nathan Aki is is that uh, at the back. And they, as Johnny says, they need a left back too. So you know, again, like Man United, you could say that they will be on the lookout for someone to uh, another striker. Aguero's uh, into his thirties now as well. Jesus is is a you know a good player, but he's not Aguero. So that, that's not as pressing as the need for someone to replace Fernandinho in, in midfield and a centre half of of real quality. And Jonathan, obviously after the game, did you was there a press conference for you to to be a part of on Zoom with Pep Guardiola? What was his demeanour like? Does he look like someone that wants to continue the the project of Manchester City to win that elusive Champions League? Yeah, yeah, he, he, he does. I don't, I'm not getting any signals of a of, of his mood having you know changed in a wider sense. But he was disconsolate. He was absolutely drained and. It was a pretty awkward press conference. He's never, you know, defeat palpably hurts Pep Guardiola. It's 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 etched across his, his features when it happens to him, and he he was, it was pretty painful being part of it. It was a pretty brief press conference, and he on Zoom, and and he talked about he, he defended his tactics, and he he came out with a sort of slightly curious line about um, how you know occasions like this are about. Uh, tactics are not the most important thing. They're about other things like mentality and so on, which you know, for a, for a man of his um, elevated tactical thinking, is a slightly odd thing to say. Um, but it was it was painful, painful stuff. The players didn't really speak, um, apart from De Bruyne. Um, Laporte was 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 kind of angry on Twitter. But uh, one of the things mm. about the um, just this whole COVID thing is you don't get a chance to see them. You don't get you don't get a chance to intercept them as they're trying to leave the stadium. So, um, you know they they're just gone from the stadium so quickly after a defeat like that, and um, they, they sort of went off into the night. And, and 
you're left to draw your own conclusions, really. Just before we move on, uh, who's the budding pianist, Jonathan? <laughs> ah, that's my that's my daughter. Oh, um, that's yeah. Good. Well, I just did the um, the parent thing about two hours ago, telling them to turn the TV off. You've been watching oh. ugly dolls for the last nine hours or whatever oh. it was. <laughs> so now now they're just rattling around playing the piano and doing all sorts of noisy oh. things. Bless them. It was lovely. A little uh, oh. rendition of Row Row Your Boat, I think it was. It was lovely. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, Speaking of rebuilding, it's been announced that Manchester City have commissioned a statue of David Silva following the legendary playmaker's exit after 10 years at the club. Silva, who's 34, has left City following a decade of success at the Etihad, where he's won four Premier League titles, two FA Cups and five League Cups. So there's going to be some rebuilding work, but at least we've got the permanent David Silva there, Gregor. <laughs> It's lovely. At least we know he's still going to be around. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be a lot of talk of statues in this podcast recently, so I'm glad there's actually <laughs> evidence of one happening. So, you know, I look, I mean, that's a sad way for him to go. That was one of the standout yeah. things as well from from the other night. Did he get six minutes or something? And he's mm, a very, very kind of disconsolate figure at the end, um, tr- trudging off into the night, and that's him. But not, you know, I'm sure he'll be back to say a proper goodbye one day when fans are looking back in the stadium, but. Um, yeah, he's been a hell of a player for City. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. To the results of the weekend now. Barcelona 2, Bayern Munich 8. A humiliation of the highest order to see Bayern reach the Champions League semi-finals. The tone was set early on as Thomas Muller, making his 113th Champions League appearance, scored inside four minutes, but it was soon cancelled out by an own goal from David Alaba. The first half floodgates then opened as Ivan Perisic, Serge Nabry and Muller netted again in quick succession. Luis Suarez did make it 4-2 in the 57th minute, but it was short-lived with half of Bayern's goals still to come. After a sensational solo run from Alfonso Davis. Joshua Kimmich slotted home the fifth before a late glut of goals embarrassed an abysmal Barcelona even further. Not to be left out, Robin Lewandowski then saw his goal given after a tight VAR review and Barcelona loanee Philip Coutinho then netted a late double with the eighth and final goal drawing an angry reaction from a number of the Barcelona substitutes. 
Now, you have to go back to 1951 for the last time Barcelona lost by six goals and back to 1946 for the last time they conceded eight in a game. Can we think of a more stunning and a shocking result in the Champions League, Jonathan? Gosh, not not really. I mean, no. I, suppose, I suppose you could delve back into the old days and probably a few kind of upsets. Um, in terms of thrashings, there was the United 7-0 against Roma. I was present at that, which was a... Uh, very well, very much worth that seven. It was an incredible performance. I mean, maybe the you know Liverpool at Istanbul was an incredible shock of a result. Um, mm. Even without the circumstances, it was just a shock of a result. As was Chelsea twenty twelve against Bayern in their own stadium. Um, I mean, I remember Arsenal hammering into Milan when Thierry Henry was 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 in his pomp away from home. That was a you know big result away from home, but. I don't think we've ever seen one of the the great sides humbled um, in quite such a way as that, and certainly not one of the world's great players um, humbled in, in in quite such a way. And 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 it was, I'm not wasn't surprised Bayern won, but you, you're shocked when you see um, that happen to a great team to, on, on that scale. Mm. Uh, there have been some obviously huge embarrassments on the pitch, Gregor. Um... Jonathan's mentioned some of the shocks, but you think of something like Germany beating Brazil 7-1 at the 2014 World Cup. Uh, was this, though, the Barcelona result, bigger than that? Uh, it's close, but I don't think, personally, I don't think so. I think the kind of sheer emotional toll that, that you could see on the, on the Brazilian yes. players from that and, the, you mm. know, the tears and there was, Being it home. was just so unexpected. Mm. I, absolutely, yeah, being the host nation as well. Uh, it was just kind of, that was that was just tragic, actually. But this was this was painful to watch because the, it was the body language of the players too. Mm. Like in the second half, they were kind of players were just kind of walking around, and even Messi, I think it was the seventh goal. He kind of lost count, but I think it was the seventh. He lost the ball, and and he just kind of stopped, stopped still, and didn't make you know any attempt. To, that's not unusual for Messi, really. I know he he kind of tends to conserve his energy, or that's the that's the theory at least. But it just it was just. And there was no one really kind of working back for him to kind of atone for his error. So that kind of summed it up. It was they were they were dead and buried, and they just wanted the final whistle to go. But Bayern were relentless, and they just punished them. Mm. It was it was it was pretty torturous, really. Gerard Piquet gave an honest assessment of Barcelona's shocking defeats. He said this, We feel devastated, although shame is the real word I'm looking for. We cannot afford to compete like this because it's not the first, the second or the third time that something like this has happened. This is very painful, but I hope it serves some purpose. We all need to reflect deeply. The club needs lots of changes. I'm not talking about the coach, players. I don't want to point the finger at anyone, but the club needs changes on a structural level. If new blood needs to come for the club to change, change course then I'm not untouchable and I'll be the first to leave if needs be because it seems as if we've hit rock bottom. Now the average age of Barcelona's starting 11 was 29 years and 329 days the oldest Barcelona team they have ever named in the Champions League and it showed. I know we've spent a lot of time on this podcast already talking about rebuilding but Jonathan Barcelona they're going to need a massive one aren't they? (laughs) Another team yeah Yeah. who've come to the end of a line and it's what they really need. What they need most of all is somebody at that club with with actual vision of what to do with all the resources. First of all, so you know they almost need a stock take before they need a rebuild. They need to look at the fact they've got Griezmann sitting on the bench. You know Dembele 
Uh, they've got Coutinho out on loan. Um, they've got it. They've got to look 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 at all all of those resources before they do anything else and decide what do we actually want to be. Who do we keep? Who do we who do we let go? And then of course there's the there's the, the, the another team that, that that probably needs quality defenders. I mean, Piquet's been a great player, but is is in his thirties now. Langley's not good enough, probably. They used to be so brilliant at fullback, but they're not anymore. Um, and you know, Messi, Messi's not going anywhere. Well, I mean, actually, no, Messi might go somewhere. He's not going anywhere as a great player. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be a great player for 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 a couple of years yet. But around him again, Suarez is getting on. There's this. There's, there's, there's plenty there's plenty needed um at, at that team and then they need they need the right coach um mm. and it's i i've never quite understood where they get all their money from anyway um you know the level of money they're able to spend in the transfer market but it looks like turn over a billion euros or something it's like yeah you know they're they're the biggest kind of machine in football i think there's you know yeah. we're saying there's a lot of rebuilds needed there's, it's kind of I think there's a kind of the the way that the financial sort of structures of European football work now is that these clubs can all become complacent because they're yeah. making so much money without and it doesn't actually require success for them. They're still making, you know, they finished twelve points clear of third, yeah. and this is the the real nadir here. And they're it's falling a... out of the quarter final of the Champions League. They're still going to make, you know, they're still going to turn over record sums again and they'll still be able to do this rebuild so it's easy for them to become complacent and uh, you know it's like Man United yeah. they're kind of come, emerging from that now it's a good point because they, they, they kind of only get this slap in the face in the last stages of the Champions League you know, they've, yeah. I know they didn't win the league this year but they've been actually winning leagues and then coming up against you know Liverpool last year getting beaten 4-0 when they were 3-0 up from the first leg you know the, the the year before against Roma. I, I mean, they they you know they've been they they you're right, Gregor. They 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 lull themselves into thinking that everything's fine. The show must go on, and then the, where they really need to be shown up at the last minute. Um, but I think I think the the president surely can't last either because you never win a power struggle against Messi. Um, you know, so if if, if 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 Messi's to stay, then it, it probably needs to be big changes at the top. And you got to say, what a, you know, he squandered the the inheritance he had in, as as president of that club. Um, so it could be a very different Barcelona by by this time next year, or it could just be another kind of you know, let's spend a lot of money on attackers. Let's let Messi score another truckload of goals, and we'll see where we get to. Let's hope we just don't draw. A, uh, a, a good team until the Champions League final or something. That seems to be the plan at the moment. Do you think Gregor will stay? Gregor, that doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I'd love to stay at Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> ah, you're staying at Barcelona. <laughs> Give me the contract first. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, sorry. What I meant to say was, do you think Messi, Gregor, will stay at Barcelona? Uh, it's really tough. I mean, because he, you know, there's noises coming out that he, he wants to wants to leave but that's yeah. not the first time it's happened and he often does that when it's you know if, if you want to talk about a new contracts and things like that or just to kind of just to spur the club into life I, there's so many things that really bemuse me about Spanish football and the kind of how political it is there's always noises about how the relationship between the dressing room and boardroom is broken why do the players need a relationship with the boardroom and you know Eric, Eric Abadal was I think he's the fourth sporting director in five years and he was supposed to come and kind of bridge that gap and and he's fallen out with them all 
Uh, and as Johnny says, there are going to be presidential elections. There's so much that's political, kind of. It's not just the players on the pitch. But all of that mess in the boardroom is kind of translated to the pitch. And they've got, as Johnny said, they're three, three most expensive players in the club's history. One of them scored for, for Bayern. Uh, one came off the bench and the other, Dembele, didn't, didn't get on. That kind of sums it up. I think they've spent a billion, a billion euros in, since 2015 and gone backwards. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mess, but it's kind of, there's a lot, a lot upstairs that needs to be solved before, you know, we talk about some, a new manager to come in and that would mm. be, you know, there will be a new manager and it's going to be a tough job for, for someone in relative terms. Um, but there's a lot, a lot that goes out with a kind of a manager's control as well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we fully expect that Kiko Setien will move on. That's just the yeah. way of the world when it comes to Barcelona. But someone like Lionel Messi, Jonathan, who obviously has been at the club for for such a such a long time, it will be difficult for him to move on. But do you think now is the time? The time is right for him to leave Barcelona. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> Uh, I think his get-out clause is about a billion pounds. I suppose if he's going to do it at 33, it's it's probably now. When we've seen Cristiano Ronaldo being invigorated by by going to Italy, um, I th- I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, the romantic and he wants to see Messi just stay as that one club player and 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 you know just absolutely be identified with Barcelona. But um, I certainly don't think for him if if the, if the if nothing's going to change at the club, he doesn't want to dribble out the last few years of his career and amid that chaos. He does want to go and win the Champions League again. It does look like Koeman's going to be the new manager. Um, and, uh, you know, that Setien's gone. Um, you know, Koeman, Koeman knows the club. He, he knows the, the, the Cruyff um, foundations and principles and, of course, played with Guardiola in the Dream Team. And... Um, he may be the man to 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 bring um, bring that sort of sense of vision back, um, and he's got he's got you know he's got enough authority and strength and power to to deal with um, big players and, and and political issues. So he he, he could be the man, um, and I suppose Messi. Um, I, I, I almost said if I was Lionel Messi, I don't think I can even get anywhere near thinking that, but. Um, I, I, I guess for him it would be uh, it'd be nice. The romantic in me would like him to to see you know see if he could have one last go at winning that Champions League with Barcelona, um, and see if he could work with Koeman and if uh, and if he's going to provide the vision that they clearly need. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Jonathan and to Gregor as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for award-winning journalism on every platform. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. 
Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.